All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Daily Faceoff Show. Today is Thursday, June 16th. I'm in Denver, home of Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. Game 2 goes on Saturday. Mike McKenna, I got to tell you, the atmosphere in Ball Arena definitely did not disappoint. It came through the television set. Like, we're sitting in the living room with the whole family watching the game, and my kids are, man, they hardly watch hockey. They're all amped up by it. People waving the towels. Like, that atmosphere is exactly what the NHL could have hoped for, whether it was in person or on TV, because you could feel that energy. And we saw it on the ice right away as well, Frank. Yeah. And you know what? The game lived up to the hype. I feel like so often these playoffs, that's been the case, but it's not always in life. You know, you have these expectations going in. Doesn't always do that. In this case, feels like we need to buckle up because we could be in for an unbelievable Stanley Cup final. Maybe the best in the last decade plus. Still early, but let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's dive in with game one from the Colorado Avalanche perspective. When you look at their start, Mike, they looked like the team that had just wrapped up their conference final series. They were right on their toes from the jump. They used their speed. And the Tampa Bay Lightning had a real tough time trying to handle the Colorado Avalanche off the rush. A lot of teams have to this point in the season and in the postseason, but John Cooper was saying after the game that they were kind of just, the Lightning were hanging on for dear life, just trying to get to that first TV timeout. That's how well the Avs came out of the gate. I thought it was interesting hearing the Avalanche players after the game talk about how the, the weight of the moment to them 
felt pretty heavy until they really heard the crowd during warmups and it gave them a lot of energy. And I think that played out, especially in the first 10 minutes where it looked like Tampa Bay was trying to feel out Colorado while Colorado was just pedal down, go, man. Like they were moving their feet right off the bat. And, you know, what I, I think was really cool about Colorado's game was how, you know, Jared Bednar is willing to mix his lines up. But he's really selective in how he puts his top three guys together. When he puts Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, it's not all the time. But when that team needs a little bit of energy, I think they feed off it. And getting out to the 2 nothing lead uh, was critical for the Avalanche, Frank, because they were able to, at least even when Tampa Bay came back, play with that lead, had the crowd on their side. And I think that the defense was on display for Colorado, how well they moved the puck out of their zone on breakouts to get going in transition. It was a lot for Tampa Bay to handle, especially early. Yeah, Andre Burakovsky gets the OT winner just a minute and 20 seconds into the overtime frame. And when you take a look at just all the different guns that the that Jared Bednar has at his disposal, um, Burakovsky, for instance, you know, it, it's crazy to think back to another point. It feels like in this season where he was on the list of a guy that's a healthy scratch and to see the game that mm -hmm. Valerie Nachushkin had and some other guys that, um, have really stepped up, even though Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr had great nights. Yeah, and I think by the third period, you started to see it ramp again for Colorado because they do lose their game a little bit in the second, and Tampa pushed hard. Tampa's forecheck was better. They pressured pucks harder. And, and you can see why this is, should and will be a close series because Tampa Bay doesn't go away, man. Like, you're not going to push this team off the ledge and see them quit. You know, even with a couple early goals uh, against you know, Tampa Bay still manages to come back. What one one fact though that I found really interesting, I thought McCarr was amazing. He played 28 minutes. He didn't have a single shot on goal last night. He was the only avalanche defenseman who didn't, but I still think that he was a driving force for the offensive side uh for Colorado. And you'd never know watching that game in person and up close to see how involved he was in the play to think that he didn't have a shot on goal is kind of wild. Let's take a look at this from the Tampa Bay Lightning perspective. You mentioned they don't go away. And in some ways, I think we probably would have been talking today about what a missed opportunity it was for the Colorado Avalanche had they not gotten that OT winner uh, with the two-goal lead that they had. But Tampa claws their way back in, and there was a lot of criticism, Mike, to start the game about Andre Vasilevsky maybe not having his best start. Um, you know, in, in your eyes, do you think that that's a little bit exaggerated? Yeah, I do. And, and there's three parts to this, Frank. First, the eye test wasn't great because the first two goals against uh, from Landeskog and from Nachushkin were shots that looked like they were savable. And if they had gone in clean, absolutely, they would have been bad goals against. And it's the fact that they happened a minute and 36 seconds apart that factors in. And also knowing that Vasilevsky had a tough start in the Toronto and the Rangers series. So all this plays into the narrative that, man, another tough start for Vasilevsky. I will push back on that really hard. The first goal against Ryan McDonough crosses his sight line right as the shot's coming off Landeskog's stick. He can handle Chernik up high. He can see around that. But when you have someone going across in front of you and you can't see the release of the puck, you're guessing. And in this instance, as quickly as McDonough crosses, man, I don't see how Vasilevsky's supposed to get his eyes on it and make this save. It's got to hit him. You can see his delayed reaction. And then I think on the second goal against with Nichushkin, it goes off Bogosian's stick in the slot. 
And the puck's trajectory, by the time it hits Bogosian's stick, it's already a foot in the air at the hash marks, which means to me this shot's coming in high. It's coming in about chest height by the time it gets to Vasilevsky. Instead, it deflects. It goes downward. Yes, it goes through him, but that's because you can't adjust in time as a goaltender. So I'm passionate about this because to me, neither of these goals were bad. They were goals that were circumstantial. His teammates were trying to do the right thing, and it went bad. There's a little bit of bad luck involved with it, and he recovered. And I think that's a big part of it, Frank. Like Vasilevsky, it's, he's not phased by these goals against. He just rolls with it, man. This whole Tampa Bay Lightning team really isn't phased by much. And, you know, I think maybe it's fair to say this then, Mike, um, that the Tampa Bay Lightning as a whole were not crisp. That's the word that John yes. Cooper used. You see the uncharacteristic turnover that Victor Hedman had that leads to one of those goals. And by the mm-hmm. way, fantastic pass and play made by Nathan McKinnon in order to make that happen. But I, I think Vasilevsky probably falls in that same category. I understand exactly what you're saying. He'd probably tell you that he wasn't exactly crisp either. So uh, Vasilevsky got way better as the game went on. The Lightning got way better as the game went on. And by the way, both goalies allowed three goals on their first 15 shots in game one. It feels like in some ways there was more criticism for Kemper coming out of game one than there was for Vasilevsky. John Cooper calling Vasilevsky his team's best player in game one, which I also thought was interesting and certainly supports exactly what you're saying. And great job by our technical producer, Alex Allard there to freeze the clips to show you exactly what Mike's talking about because he illustrates it so, so well. Mike, before game one, we had Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly speak to the media, their annual State of the League address prior to the start of the Stanley Cup final. And in this case, not incredibly overwhelming in terms of news content. Uh, Just a few quick hits to throw at you here as we take a look at uh, all the different things that unfolded. The 2022-23 regular season will open on October 11th. The league is going to release the regular season schedule sometime in early July. The projected revenue for this season, $5.2 billion, up from about $4.8 pre-pandemic. It is technically a record. And in this case, that means that the salary cap will increase by $1 million to $82.5 million. Still basically relatively flat. The league saying it's going to take another two seasons, potentially three, for the NHL players to pay back the $1 billion debt to owners. The Stanley Cup will not be allowed to travel to Russia this summer. There are three players on the Tampa Bay Lightning and one Russian-born player on the Colorado Avalanche. They won't be allowed to celebrate with the Cup in their homeland if they win as a result of Russia's unprovoked attack on Ukraine. The NHL is still targeting February 2024 for a World Cup of Hockey. They'd like it to be in season. I believe some of those games will be played in Europe. They are sorting out the sites at the moment and remain in discussions now with the IHF to try and get something done. And perhaps the most interesting thing for me, Mike, is Evander Kane and what's going on with Mm. contract termination grievance. I wrote a story about that today on dailyfaceoff.com. And the interesting part about it is that these two sides are playing basically a $23 million game of chicken. No one really wants the all or nothing that could come out of an arbitrator's ruling because it's it's binary and it's binding. It's all or nothing. Hmm. Either Kane gets the full contract and the $23 million that are owed to him and the Sharks are now back in possession of Evander Kane as a player and he's on their salary cap in full or... The other part of that is no settlement that comes along here. Evander Kane could lose that judgment and get $0. So 
my guess is that neither side wants that end result and would prefer to settle. To this point, I don't think they've had any settlement talks. They don't need to go through two more hearings in order to uh, to come to a settlement. Um, but this could extend out past the start date of free agency. And why that's interesting, Mike, is Evander Kane could sign a new deal, either extend with the Edmonton Oilers, sign with another team on July 13th. And through that entire process, Mike, if they go through the with the arbitrator's ruling, in this case, then that new contract that Evander Kane signs will be voided. So it's I uh, it's. I can't believe that this is happening. Honestly, that it's so zero sum. You know, you've only got one direction either way to go with it, and it's just the re- legality of it. But it's just crazy to think he went and played for the Edmonton Oilers while his contract was still up in the air, basically, <laughs> you know, and get paid. And now, now he may get a new contract. Now he may be a San Jose shark and have to figure that out. This is a quagmire and, and Kane is by all sense of purposes, man, like should be one of the top free agents from a hockey standpoint, but this could loom large for quite some time. Yeah. And if you root for chaos, like I do, there could be plenty of chaos, as you mentioned, uh, the NHL reiterating on Wednesday evening that Evander Kane, they view that the contract termination in their eyes was proper, that he was terminated with cause. And in that case, that does make him a free and clear pending unrestricted free agent. Can't wait to see how all of it unfolds and also what the interest level in Kane will be like. Will someone give him some term on a contract? We'll see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's continue with our down and out series. We're covering off the teams that were eliminated in the Stanley Cup playoffs to take a look at where they've been and where they're heading and today up is the florida panthers mike when you look at their biggest off-season question some may say what do they do with the coach will andrew brunette be back we have no indication to this point that he will kevin weeks from espn reporting days ago that the florida panthers have fired their assistant coaches and now moving forward to me i think an even bigger question than that is what happens with jonathan huberto eligible to sign an extension this summer He's Alexander Barkov's running mate. Obviously, those two guys have been in South Florida for a long time together and key pillars of their success. Huberto coming off a 100-point-plus season, the most assists in the league by a winger. When you look at their summer, is that the number one thing that stands out? That's number one, and I think the coaching decisions are going to be big. Like I, I would like to see Andrew Burnett either get a vote of confidence, or I, we just need some we need some clarity here because you know not us as media members twisting in the wind. Like, Burnett's yeah, dude, he's got to and he's got to fill a staff. He needs to get his assistant coaches. And you know, I talked to a longtime assistant coach last week who said, man, I, I don't have anything. I don't know what's going on here. This is the exact type of scenario where I think there's a lot of people waiting to see. And coaches want to get hired as soon as they can so they can get settled. And you want to get the top talent. So that's first and foremost. And then you have to decide, like, man, Barkov, Huberto, Bobrovsky, are you going to have three guys over $10 bucks on your roster? Like, that's realistic. So you got to start looking at pairing money down somewhere. And, you know, Hornquist's deal at 5.3 really stands out. Can you really live with that if you're Bill Zito? You're going to have to create cap flexibility somehow because they only have five NHL defensemen on one-way contracts right now. And that's an area that needs players, man. They need D. So I'm not convinced that this is going to be a smooth offseason with the Panthers. I think they may have to move out uh, some pieces to create some space. And I look at the pieces they'd like to bring back. Man, Mason Marchment, I don't think he's going to be too expensive, but that guy – 
when he came out of the lineup for Florida, it sure changed for them, I thought, in playoffs. I thought he was awesome. Um, and, and the biggest thing is they got to have a better power play. We've seen this, right? Like, power play is terrible in playoffs. They couldn't score. Probably a reason why McKenzie and Samuelson left, I'm guessing. So that's obviously an area of concern. But, Frank, I, I don't see how they run it back with three players on that those big of contracts. And I don't know how you get rid of Bobrovsky's if that's be the one that you'd look to get rid of. Yeah, I was going to say, let me throw my hot take bit on for a second and ask you this question. Would you consider consider trading Spencer Knight, given that he's such a valuable piece and that you probably won't be able to trade Bobrovsky if you're trying to make your team better and Bobrovsky's locked in for the next number of years? It's the catch-22, but no, I wouldn't trade Spencer Knight. My reasoning for that, and we talked about it yesterday, nobody's won a Stanley Cup in forever without homegrown talent. You need young goaltenders that you can have that can develop within, that can be there for 10 years that are going to win you a cup. If you got to get creative with Bobrovsky's deal down the road, you got to do that somehow. But I would be very hesitant to get rid of Spencer Knight. Very good. All right, let's get to our All 32 guests today. Let's talk about the Stanley Cup final with Stephen Wino. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Pleased to welcome into the Daily Faceoff show Stephen Wino, the national hockey reporter for the Associated Press. He's down at Ball Arena after Jared Bednar just spoke to the media this morning after Game 1. This segment of the All-32 is delivered by DoorDash. Steve, when you listen to Jared Bednar speak this morning, um, you know what do you think was the overall impression uh, from the Avalanche perspective in terms of how they attacked Game 1? They, they, they were themselves. And and there's plenty of preparation about the Lightning and what they've done in previous playoff series. But this was about the Avalanche playing to their identity. And this is what Jared Bednar has said all along is they have their five-minute increments they play in. They have the speed they play with. And this is what they do. And, and, and he said he liked segments of the game and didn't like segments of the game. And you, could, you know where those were, where the Lightning had their pushback. But the, the overall kind of feeling is the Avalanche know who they are as a team, and they're not going to change a whole lot of it. 
You know, it seemed like to me that the Avalanche picked up a lot of steam through their power play last night. Obviously, one of the goals, Lekkonen's is a five on three, which is uh, easier than a five on four, obviously. But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if penalties are really going to play into the series because Tampa spent a decent amount of time in the box this playoffs, mid-pack or so, compared to Colorado, who has not spent time there. There were three penalties on each side or three power plays for each team last night. But do you think this is something that the coaching staff is – is concerned with or is preaching to their teams that, hey, man, we have to stay out of the box if we're going to be competitive, especially on Cooper's side? Yeah, especially, yes. And, and, and especially given how good that Colorado penalty was last night in that this, look, we know how power play can be, but this is not a situation where the Lightning want to have to rely on that to score goals. And, and Colorado, even though they score a goal in the power play on the five on three, and you're right, they built, they built momentum off the power play and the penalty kill in, in game one. So if, if you're John Cooper, you got to make sure, look, Pat Maroon can't put the puck over the glass. You can't be having this kind of some of these penalties. But look, if there are penalties of aggression where you're kind of kind of putting your physicality to and all of a sudden a penalty, fine. But you can't have a situation where you have uh, mistakes like Patrick Maroon's puck over the glass because it's going to hurt them in a series like this when you've got a Nathan McKinnon playing the way he is and a Cal McCarr playing the way he is. Steve, we covered off Andre Vasilevsky earlier in the show talking about his game one. I was really curious to see the social media reaction, particularly from ABS fans, uh, with Darcy Kemper and the three goals that he allowed. A lot of people suggesting today that Kemper might have a short leash heading into game two. I was struck by Jared Bednar after game one saying, look, this guy's our starter. He's been our starter all year. Do you share the sort of same sentiment about Kemper's game? And what do you think the leash looks like for Kemper moving forward? It's a, it's a medium leash. It's not a short leash, but Darcy, you're right. You're right. Jared Bednar was very much saying Darcy Kemper is our starter. If he is healthy, he's, he's in the net, but another couple of soft goals. And, and I think that tune changes because we saw what Pavel Francis could do in the conference final against Edmonton. We saw he could step in and, and play decently well. Neither of these guys has play, has had to play incredibly well during this playoffs, but I, I don't think there's any question that Darcy Kemper starts game two. I, I, and I think it will take a lot for Jared Bednar and his coaching staff to go to Pavel Francis. The option is there and they know that, but I don't think it's something that the, they have a quick trigger on. So one of the Pretty things decent option to have, have in your back pocket. Yeah. One of the things we oh, all yeah, had and, and last night have, is, yeah. We all had an eye on, on Braden Point last night, Wino. Uh, how would you evaluate his performance? Slow to start, Mike, but but he, he I mean, he at one point in the game, he was leading all forwards in ice time. So it wasn't like uh, he was having any more of an adjustment to the altitude and, and this series than a lot of the other guys. And we saw him skating uh, the day before game one uh, in practice. He was flying around out there and he had a good game. I, the, he's not Braden Point yet. He's not himself where he's the kind of first-line center difference maker star yet. But he's shown the capability and, and flashes of getting to that point. And, and, and if Braden Point gets back to being himself in this series, Tampa Lightning are, are on another level in Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, totally agree there. Great insight, as usual, from Steve Wino, the national hockey reporter at the Associated Press. You can follow him on Twitter at S Wino. Thanks so much for joining us today, Steve. The All 32 has been delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen, DFODD if you're in Canada, DFODD US if you're in the United States. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. Thanks to Steve. Enjoy the rest of the Stanley Cup final. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.
All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. And it surrounds this, the puck over glass penalty that Steve Wino mentioned from Pat Maroon. The reaction instantly on social media, what a dumb rule. I hate this rule. What do you think? Hey, people that hate are the ones that get affected by it negatively. I can't think of a rule that has more of a negative effect to a human being than the puck over the glass because it feels like your blood just runs cold. Like I've been I've been teed up with that penalty before as a goalie. I've shot it over the glass and gotten it. It sucks. It hurts. It feels terrible. Um, the, the avalanche didn't end up scoring on that power play, but my tune has kind of changed on it. I used to think that, you know what? I don't like that it's automatic that when the puck goes over the glass, it's a penalty. Maybe we should make this discretionary and the give the officials latitude to judge if it was on purpose. The more I've thought about that, I was totally wrong, man. This is a black and white rule that if you don't want to put it over the glass and out, put it off the boards, man. Don't use the glass. Like, Be a little more careful. It's a skill to keep the puck in play. I understand mistakes happen, but I like it the way it is. How about you? Yeah, I really like it too. Like, it'd be so easy to defend if every time you got the puck on your stick, you could just throw it out of play. I mean, this forces mm. you to do something skilled with the puck. And I really think that's the way that it should be if your team's in trouble and you're being pressured consistently by the yeah. opposition uh, on the forecheck. Like, there should be no easy out. And you'd have to have a two minute penalty because that's all teams would do. So uh, I like it. I think it's unfortunate that it happens in big moments, but that's kind of also the point is you really need to be careful with the puck. You can't throw it away. And no one asked me, Mike, but the other decision or rule change that I would make, and speaking of having to make a skill play, is it it drives me insane that teams in the NHL are allowed to ice the puck on the penalty kill. You see now in USA Hockey, they've totally changed the rule, you know, Young players now are growing up in the U.S. not being able to ice the puck on the penalty kill. It forces you to do something creative, make a skill play, make a hard play to get the puck to the other end of the ice to try and kill time on the penalty. You can't ice the puck when you're at full strength. Why should you suddenly be allowed to while your team's at a disadvantage? Yeah. Why can't we make hand passes all over the ice? Like, why is that only in the defensive zone? You know, like I, I'm legitimately step too far. Things. Oh, come on. See, you're going down your own path. But you know what? To the, to the original question, we had a guy named Jim Hakel in college that he probably put the puck over the glass five times a game. He'd get in trouble. He wasn't very mobile. And he'd just hoist that baby right out of there. We don't want to see that. I liked it as a goalie because it got a whistle. But I don't think that's in the spirit of play. Yeah, not very mobile. That's the perfect way to describe me as a defenseman <laughs> as well. Let's get to our daily face-off, daily bets segment. Tyler, you're Chuck. We got a double off day in between games here. How are you going to entertain yourself on the betting front? I'm sure you'll find something. I will find something. And I have, uh, I gave Justin Thomas as my U.S. Open winner pick yesterday. I got another non-NHL play for tonight as well. But first, one of the things I talked about yesterday when we looked at the series prices was I was betting on Tampa Bay because I like the value at one at plus 150. But I was saving a little bit of money for when they lost game one. I thought the odds would shoot to around plus 200. And look at this over at Points by Canada. These are the odds here for game two at the top. At the bottom to win the series, plus 230. That is tremendous value. This Lightning team consistently gets better as series goes on. They've lost game one twice already in these playoffs. I, you're never in trouble till you lose at home. Them losing game one at the road on the road to me should not have affected the odds this much. Like I said, I was expecting to get them at plus 190, plus 200, plus 230. I'm licking my chops. I am ready to go. I am all over Tampa Bay to win this series at plus 230. The value is just 
way too good to pass up. You mentioned back-to-back off days. Tampa Bay, they're going to be underdogs to open up game two on Saturday night. So there's not really a whole heck of a lot else for me to get to, Frank. But what I will say, Steph Curry over four and a half three-pointers tonight. He didn't hit a single three in the last game. Chef Curry is going to be cooking up tonight from three. I'm going over four and a half. He's always got the sauce, Chef Curry. Uh, I think I saw a stat. The Golden State Warriors had missed 15 consecutive three-pointers at some point in that last game of the NBA Finals. Just an absolutely insane stat. Uh, thank you to Tyler Remchuk for our daily face-off, daily bet segment brought to you by Points Bet. And that brings us to garbage time with Mike McKenna. Normally, I would cede the floor to you, Mike, but I wanted to give some love to our Hockey Hall of Fame media honorees for this year. As announced a little bit earlier this week, we had our Elmer Ferguson Award winner, Al Morganti, who was known for his work at the Philadelphia Inquirer as a writer. He's been around a long time covering uh, the Philadelphia Flyers on a uh, national perspective as well with ESPN back in the day, National Mm -hmm. Hockey Night. Mike, I'm sure you would remember that. And still today at NBC Sports Philly. And I had a chance to share the news live with Al Morgani on air on the WIP morning show in Philadelphia earlier this week. And his reaction was just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I do remember those times with ESPN with Al Morganti when I was younger. And, you know, some of the crew that was there back then, you look at Brian Engblom and Barry Melrose, Al Morganti, and just so many talented people back then before the the NHL moved on to other platforms and now repatriated back. So um, I had a chance to actually be in touch with Danny earlier this year, and it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And congrats to him on a well-deserved award. Yeah, and the other really cool part about it is that the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award winner for excellence in hockey broadcasting is Bill Clement, who was also a big part of the ESPN Hockey Night coverage back in the day and you know has called more games on U.S. national television than anyone in history. And to see the connection between these two Philly guys, Bill Clement, of course, winning yeah. Stanley Cup with the Flyers, but also to then... Uh, help mentor Al Morgani through his process as he was transitioning from the written word to broadcast. And he was such a big part of that. Two close friends going to be honored on the same day at the Hockey Hall of Fame media luncheon uh, in November in Toronto. Just super excited for both of them and uh, extremely well-deserved honors for both. That's really cool, especially knowing that you've gotten a chance to work with them in the Philly area. And I remember even my first couple of years pro in the ECHL, I, I saw Bill Clement in an airport, maybe coming home from Christmas break or something. And it just had an awesome conversation. He was genuinely curious about my career as just some plug out of college hockey at the ECHL level. And years later, circling back and and kind of reminding him of that conversation, which, of course, you know, didn't really remember. <laughs> but it left a mark on me. It just showed that he treats people well and, and deserving as well. Yeah, two really great guys. So congratulations to Al Morgani and... Bill Clement, 2022 Hockey Hall of Fame media honorees. Mike, that'll do it for today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis. We've got the Evander Kane story posted there. Now, uh, Chris Peters did a mailbag. Lots of fresh content coming your way over the next couple days as we get set for Game 2 Saturday night. And we'll be back 12 noon Eastern on Friday. You know where to find us. Subscribe on YouTube. And until then, have a great day, everyone. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.